Hi, Tim Kask here. Faced with a TPK and have no idea what to do? Well, you might have, had you listened to Save or Die. You burst through the door, you find a small room filled with golden jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to breathe. Save or die! Save or Die Podcast, a podcast about classic Dungeons and Dragons. Bring on your and and Seventy-one, Save or Die. We are here. Yay! We are here. And oh, with me here. is DM Liz. Yay! <laughs> and DM Jim. Oh, I fire magic missile. Wait, what? <laughs> no, no, you got to go yay like Liz did. <laughs> I fire magic missile. Yay! <laughs> it automatically hit. <laughs> yay! Yay! Unless you're playing Holmes. Unless you're playing Holmes. In which case Holmes. it doesn't. <laughs> I know. Yay? I started it up on Facebook today, didn't I? <laughs> yes, I saw that. And DM Glenn. Let me talk to the NPC. Hey, you stink. Let me roll for reaction. Like that guy on, uh, oh, I'm forgetting his name, but the guy on uh, OSR who has the tagline. Yeah, Greetings, it's a roll. Pleasure to meet you. Yes. <laughs> Is that DM Wannabe? I think so. That's an old. Okay. If, it, if I'm wrong, I apologize, but you can write in and yell at me, and we'll read it on the show, because that's what we do. I feel we my- read stuff that people yes, yell do. at Mike. Yes, we do. My brain's a little fried today. Can I just go blah, 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 blah in the background? Sure. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that gets old, too. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to keep remembering to yeah, blah. I it's supposed to blah. And yeah. And blah. Why, why am I seeing a, a complex table where the data is in rows of white and gray and your D results were blah, blah, blah? <laughs> blah. <laughs> God almighty. Show. So, what have we all uh, been up to, DM Liz? And it goes downhill from here. Uh, what have I DM been up Liz? to? No. <laughs> yes, it's all because of DM Liz. I'm bringing the tone of this show down. Oh, come on. You're the reason most people listen to this show. And now here come the flying monkeys. Okay. <laughs> I think you make the show adorable. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, like a smurf? I've done no adorable gaming whatsoever this past week or two. You got a few weeks to go for that. Well, we've had a know. we've had a guest. You know, yeah, we have a house guest who's been with us for the past couple of weeks. So really? we've been doing the we've been doing the house guest thing. And a, P, a PC or an NPC? Well, she actually did game with us on our two E game, not this Saturday, but not the yesterday. past Saturday. Um, and she was there as a as a one-off character who came on, and um, so I guess she's kind of going to become an NPC when we meet again to game. But anyway, <laughs> I'm a one-off. So half-wing. she's a PC and an NPC at the same time. Hmm, oh, she's oh, oh, she's dual class. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, we might have actually gotten some gaming in, except this was finals week, and I had to grade papers and unit tests and finals all within a week. So. Why, why don't you just stand up in front of the class or get them online or whatever and says, okay, you all did decent work, so I want you to all roll. To but that s- would be a lie. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why that's why you have a roll to save versus grades. Liz, yes. we all we all played on Wednesday. That is true. We did or Tuesday. We? Tuesday. Tuesday. We did, didn't we? Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. I was sort of brain dead after my last final, so I was like, eh. <laughs> well, it had but all yeah, that role-play stuff in it. And I know, a whole game of wandering around town talking to Talking NPCs. to people, didn't get to kill anybody. Tell you. Yeah, but we found out a lot of stuff. We did? Well, we found out that apparently whatever's killing people has teeny tiny little feet. That's true. Okay. Now watch, it's a hill giant, but had it, it had an unfortunate polymorph accident. And it's <laughs> a little feet. <laughs> it's it's a it's a gnome on stilts. <laughs> yep. And once again, you managed not to get your elf killed. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm on a roll now. Mm-hmm. She's got a, she's got a sign in her in in room. It says "Days Not Dead," and she just crosses off you know the hash marks up there. I don't understand how the how your elf and my cleric have gotten a rep for being the most bloodthirsty members of the party. Well, it's that I whole kill it's, the goblin thing for her. Yeah, my my elf didn't didn't care about whether or not the thief killed the goblin in cold blood. True. Maybe it's more. I don't know, revenge motivated or something. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Uh, so you didn't do any cute gaming. That's too bad. Yeah, uh, no uh, cute gaming. Now, I thought, if I'd, I'd be able to play Mike's character again, perhaps I could have done some cute gaming. But No, but I was actually there this time. You didn't grab Mike and somebody else and say, we're going to play Buddies and Burls so I can practice for the convention. <laughs> it's My Little Pony, the role-playing game. They have one for Savage I, Worlds. I know. <laughs> my Savage yeah, Worlds. I would have yeah. thought it would have been White Wolf. No, you just made that up. That's no, not true. No, they, no, I'm serious. It's called, it's called My Savage Pony. Oh my God! Yeah, For is that an actual book or a fan thing? It's a fan. It's a fan okay. thing, but it's yeah. it's out there. It's a PDF. You can play My Little Pony in Savage Worlds. Why you wouldn't want to play? I don't know, uh, but it's there. C- can you kill them? I don't know. Maybe I'm, that would be the appeal. Yeah, I. Just, yeah, but that that's, anyway. that that fandom still baffles me. So, mm. all right, Jim, what have you been up to? Well, we uh, got our first level characters out for a test spin in our Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign. And uh, interestingly, I think based somewhat on my performance in Expedition to the Barrier Peaks the prior week, I was the only guy who didn't get a level zero to survive to first level. So they voted to just let me in with a new first level. So my wizard shows up with just basic equipment, and they were standing in line to hand me magic items that had extra spells in them. It's like, okay. I, th- I think it was like you're our fifty cal. Here's some ammo. But uh, now that's smart. Pol- that's smart party use. You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I was like, I can pay you for this, and then I just started saying, "Shut up and thank you." But uh, yeah, <laughs> now, you'll pay us back when you blow the crap out of things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 we had a blast because uh, there's a thing. No built pun in- intended. 
<laughs> well, I'm getting there. There's a there's a mechanic built into the magic system of Dungeon Crawl Classics where no spell works the same way for any two wizards. If you every time you learn a spell, you roll on something called the Mercurial Magic Table, and your your version of that spell does some little side effect. Cool. So I, Mister Infamous Bad Dice Roller, my magic missile casts an anti-magic bubble that knocks everybody else's spell checks by minus four for a round and expires on my next round in the initiative order. So it doesn't affect me, but after, all I have to do is throw magic missile and I shut everybody else down. Is How that Judges Gildian. I, like I know, it. right? Am I, I think flaming? that's pretty cool. <laughs> I think I should steal that for our basic <laughs> <laughs> well, it was making me think because the uh, my, my flaming hands does one d six extra damage to the next nearest person. So I was we yeah we, I know we got jumped by direwolves. So here's my seven hit point wizard running up to the direwolves to make sure they were the next closest person, and that worked pretty good. But not my favorite thing to do with no armor and seven hit points. Yeah, <laughs> almost I'm almost regretting we sold that copy of DCC now. Oh well, we get another one. Yeah. Well, you're gonna get that. You get a chance to play it at the North That's Texas. That's true. Con. That's true. But and I'm really excited. I weaseled my way into a DCC playtest for an upcoming module uh, that Harley Stroh wrote. That's an eighth level adventure with giants in it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Called oh. Colossus Arise, and and I like being in playtest credits. Okay. Cool. What about you, Glenn? Oh, let's see. We're uh, oh, we're still looking for a house. I think we almost got one, and then we can have the fun time of moving. Just before the convention. How nice. I thought y'all uh, were getting a house next year. We are, well, but we need a place to live this year because our so, lease ah, is so looking for a rental property now that yes. hope to buy a property. Buy next year. Oh, yes. Okay. Our lease went out last, is the end of this month and we decided not to renew. So. Will, will they let you go monthly or? They are will, you but scrambling? Becky already said we are not renewing. She hates this house. But they'll let you renew if they, you haven't well, found a place. They, or let they, you at least do monthly. If we had talked to them before we gave our notice, yes. Mm-hmm. I'm already, sure at this point they've probably already got a new set of people ready to move in. Not really, no. They've got the sign up on the lawn. The storm's knocking down, and I'm not going to put it up. But, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, <laughs> that could help. But we're, we're, we're working on it. Let's see. What else? Um, no gaming for the last two weeks, and my basic game's been on hiatus. Uh, the next game is this coming Saturday. Unfortunately, I have an audition, so I won't be there. And probably by the time... Odinist, I- kill his character. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I'm looking forward to the convention. Oh, I got a little extra money in my PayPal account, so I ordered myself from ThinkGeek a bag of holding. Ooh. Yeah, should be here tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, that's my big thing. It was either that or a fez, and I decided the bag would be more practical. Well, just also remember. More, you could use a fez to hold things. That's it's true. like a little, a tiny little bucket. Yes, it's like a, I could put my di- all my dice in there. I of course, remember then you feel like not, not the, from the from the D&D cartoon, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Esto. I would love to get it a fez, a purple and gold fez with the Crown Royal logo on the front. That would be <laughs> that so would be cool. That would be cool. Um, anyway. What were you uh, saying, Jim? Oh, I was just going to remind Glenn not to put his portable hold hole in his bag of holding. That's, thank yeah. you. That, thank that could you. be bad. Yeah. I found they also have a backpack version of the bag of holding now, too, for like 10 bucks, 10 bucks more. 
So uh, how much was the bag? Uh, Forty nine ninety five plus shipping, and uh, better hold a lot. Fifty nine ninety five for the backpack version. Yeah, that's a that's a copy of DCC. <laughs> there, we, there we go. This thing better hold weight too. Yeah, because I've I've gone through so many bags, messenger bags, computer bags. Just hey, guys, all all you gamers out there, in case you haven't. Those who don't have their stuff digitally, in case you haven't figured out, paper weighs. It yep. really does. I've broken out the bottoms of bags before. I used to carry my old gaming stuff in a uh, field technician um, suitcase, you know, and I'd drop it on the ground. It was like I had anvils in it. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I used to, in the 80s, when I'd bring my Avalon Hill war games and stuff to conventions or such, uh-huh. I from, my dad was a quartermaster in the National Guard, so he had one of those aluminum metal bomb suitcases. Ooh. And I used to carry them in that. I've still got it up in my closet, but after 9-11, I really don't want to carry that. Yeah, you probably can't fly with that anymore. Yeah, no. Hey, I don't even it, think I should walk into a con with that anymore. If you paint it camo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because that's much better. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Nothing susp- and I'll wear a fez. That'll, yeah, there's- <laughs> that'll be perfect, yeah. Uh. That's with a D20 on it. There we go. Yeah. That's me, anyway. How about you? All right. Well, have we got any emails, Liz? Oh, email monkey? We do have emails. Okay, never mind. What? What have you been doing, Mike? Oh, I thought Liz and I pretty much covered what we had done. Okay, I I forgot it's a joint venture with you two. Go ahead. The Mike and Liz, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All righty. Well, we have several emails. Our first two emails are from Chris Mailer and Shannon Ferguson. Angry Monk. Yes. And RDM. Hi, yes. guys. Anyway, they both have written in to add their voices to the throng, <laughs> <laughs> requesting that we please cover the Labyrinth Lord AEC. So it looks like we're starting to get a AEC pretty... AEC or OEC? Well, Shannon has AEC. What I think it's the, Advanced the Edition. Say. Yeah, but I thought we were originally talking about the original. Well, yeah, Chris Mailer says Original Edition rules. Um, Shannon Very Ferguson says the AEC. Okay, so okay. he's by himself, unless okay. that's a typo. Okay, I can answer I can answer Shannon's. I'm going to do a less from Hardcore Pond. Let me put it this way. No. <laughs> <laughs> that that but, is First Edition. <laughs> yep. Although I I did ask if someone else would send in about the original edition or original booklet, and they did. So I guess in a future episode, we will cover that. So you're the guy I got to get on. Okay, fine. (laughs) I bet Shannon meant the original edition version. He probably did. Probably meant AEC, yeah. But I guess we can ask him uh, in two days. Yeah. Okay. Perhaps. Are we going back to weekly Skype game? Oh, that's right. It's two weeks. So, yeah, it'll be in a week, a little over a week. Okay. Thank you. I have no idea what's going on. Thank you. Me neither. (laughs) Yes. And our next email is from Joel. Hey, Joel. (laughs) And Joel writes, Sodcasters. I always feel like I should be like a farmer (laughs) with a plow when I hear Sodcasters. (laughs) 
<laughs> hi, hi, Joel. Sorry, go ahead. With a successful intelligence check, you will remember that my last email contained references to a cat in a jar. Oh, the cat. I wish I could take the credit for that craziness, but the kudos really go to Mike Carr. The cat in a jar is included in the description of the wizard's workroom in Module B1. Yeah. Its inclusion was purely for flavor. The module states, This occurrence has no special meaning other than to surprise and or mystify the adventurers, as well as provide some fun for the dungeon master. It mystified me. Oh, (laughs) always a good thing. Yeah, it was it was labeled it, it was labeled can put but Oh I don't think so. <laughs> Ooh. Anyway. I gotta earn I gotta earn my money editing these shows, so <laughs> <laughs> moving right along. <laughs> Joel goes on to say when I ran the module, the party's rogue swiped the cat in a jar because well, it was cool. While fighting a wandering monster later in the adventure, the rogue decided to throw the jar at the monster. The rogue fumbled, and the jar hit the fighter in the head. (laughs) What a catastrophe. Uh, Uh, uh. Anyway, um, the event was hilarious to everyone except the fighter, who proceeded to argue with the rogue. The argument was intensified because the players of those characters are brothers. (laughs) Which means they really need no rationale to argue. (laughs) The rogue was understandably sad at the loss of the jar. Oh, yeah, it wasn't sad that he accidentally hit the fighter. He was sad because he lost the jar. Uh, Although I must quibble. Rogue? Thief. (laughs) He's a thief. However... The story has a happy ending. Oh, good. (laughs) After the group was transported to the Hackmaster version of the adventure, they rediscovered the wizard's lab and, lo and behold, found another cat in a jar, which resides in the rogue's backpack to this day. It's a vending machine. (laughs) But but, but wait, that's a Hackmaster version of the jar, right? Yes. Yes. And Joel goes on to say one final spoiler. The jar in the D&D module contained a normal black cat, but the cat in the Hackmaster version transforms into a panther. Oh, something useful. Good. Yes. Of course it does. Except that it probably attacks him. Yeah, that will definitely provide some fun for the Dungeon Master. Yeah, especially you've got the thief with the jar in his backpack. All he has to do is fall over backwards and break that jar. Uh-huh. Face of trouble, break glass. Yes. Uh, anyway, until the next save, Joel. P.S. No animals were hurt while running this module. <laughs> Thank you, Joel. <laughs> you know, yeah, if, that was cool. If I was running that, if I was the DM and he fumbled his save and hit the fighter in the back of the head, I would make that cat still alive out of the jar and just start attacking the fighter and his <laughs> on the back of the head, you know, like Velcro. Yeah. <laughs> just starts clawing the hell out of him on his helmet. Get this thing off of me! <laughs> oh, well. But yeah, I had totally forgotten about that. Then his email, and I went and checked, and like, yeah, he's right. It's <laughs> from B1. It's Mike, It's a Mike Carism. I love stuff like that in all modules. It's yeah. just where to screw with your head. Mm-hmm. What's that? What's that watermelon doing there? I'll tell you later. I'll tell you later. Yeah, definitely bonsai. <laughs> yeah. Or the great, or the great DM cover. Those, those yes. are like DM that smoke That is odd, rate. isn't it? 
Those are like DM smoke break encounters where, okay, here's a cat in a jar. I'm going to go out and smoke while you guys argue about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I try to figure out what it's there for. <laughs> I'm going to go order pizza while you guys talk. Yeah. <laughs> what do we do with the wall? Watermelon. <laughs> well, maybe it's a monster. Maybe it's pot. Maybe it's trapped. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I don't the gazebo. <laughs> I mean, if you can suck a detect magic out of one of the magic users with a cat in a jar, you did your job. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So our next writer is DM Ed. All right. Ed. And DM Ed says, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Love the podcast, and I want to thank you for your episode on Ruins of the Undercity. I've just played a solo game and thought I'd send you a brief game report. Oh, cool. So I generated a four-character band consisting of a wizard, a cleric, a thief, and an elf. Nobody on base. Okay. On their first sojourn to the Undercity, they immediately encountered a pack of giant rats. Your favorite, Liz. Yes. I have such great luck with giant rats. Anyway, <laughs> however, with a lucky reaction roll, they avoided coming to blows, the rats clearly finding them of little interest. Then, three rooms and two corridors down the line, jackpot an empty room in which hung 200 gold pieces worth of ornate tapestry. Nice. Oh, sweet. Emerging with their ill-gotten gains, the band decided to seek out hirelings. They successfully negotiated a deal with four men-at-arms. However, before I could roll for their equipment, I managed to roll for a night attack by bandits on the city events and encounters table. Uh, and yes. they proceeded to kill all my characters. <laughs> <laughs> so he TPK'd himself. Yes. Oh, that just awesome. shows the quality of the system. That's and right. The, and the men at arms lost a morale roll after losing the first of their number and fled. Oh, it's boy. the Keystone hirelings. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Great fun. And as a relatively novice DM, great help in getting my head around the old school game. Keep up the good work. Big up the London D&D Meetup Massive. Yeah, thank you, Ed. Yes, yeah. thank you, DM Ed. Thank awesome you. report. Glad to hear our, our opinions are are shared by others. That's great. <laughs> I, I did think that was a great intro to DMing, especially old school. Yeah. You were TPK'd because you stayed out too late at night. <laughs> Believe that? That's adventure. Oh, yeah. Hey, if that was the city state of the Invincible Overlord, it might have been a god kicking your butt. <laughs> yeah. Like. So, our final email is from Cadfell. Hi, Cadfell. And he writes Hi, guys. <laughs> he doesn't say he's a brother. Oh. He might be a detective, though. Oh, all right. <laughs> he says, Hi, guys. Regarding Benjamin Handelman's OD&D books for his player's question in episode 70, I'd like to suggest using the often unknown Big Brown Book by Justin Brown. It would be much closer to Brown Brown Book. <laughs> it would be much closer to the Little Brown Books than the Labyrinth Lord Supplement and even Swords and Wizardry White Box. That's a bold statement there. Uh, the clone wow. says old school as it goes by being in the author's words, quote, the game as it was originally meant to be played as a supplement to a war game, end quote. Mm. With things oh, such as 2D6 combat and the mass combat system, however, if using D6s all the time bothers you, 
There is a section towards the back of the book which describes how to play using D20s. Hmm. The site which hosts the book is currently down, so I have placed it on cloud storage temporarily. And And thank you. Should I read the... I don't think you should read that. Nah, there's no reason. I I think he was just sharing it with us. And besides, I've already downloaded it. I wasn't exactly clear on that, so I'm... Well, he said the often unknown. I'd never heard of it. Yeah, that's true. Neither had I. And, Um, well, he's right then. (laughs) Maybe we should download it and take a look. Which I already did. You took took a look? I downloaded it. Okay, so you half did it. (laughs) Oh, God, now there's a record of me saying that. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah, it's it's pretty much black and white, basic rules. They've got... Close combat and large scale scale combat. So is it basically war game rules, or is it actually a D and D game? Well, it's real tight to the three brown books, so it's uh, just the three you know magic user cleric, uh, fighting man, and elf dwarf, and that's it. Right. Hmm. I would have to look at it to well, take a look at it. I mean. We'll yeah. discuss this further after we've Back all had time. a chance to look at this, look this over. But, but thanks. thanks for pointing it out to us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Tune in next time for Saver Dies Book Club. Yeah. If we can, <laughs> if we, if we can get a, a, you know, public legal download URL, we'll put it up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, he says, you know, the site which hosts the book is currently down. So, you know, depending on whether or not it's always available as a free download, then it might not be a problem. But no. that's something we can look into. Do some, yeah, do some research on and find out. If you would like to join the Saber Die Clone of the Month Club, <laughs> please yeah. write us at saberdiepodcast at gmail.com. And, and, send us, and send us free stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This has been Oprah's Clone Club. And Cadfail was our last email. Thank so. you, Mr. Well, Cadfail. Except for Jay. Chapman's, but it's so big, we're saving that to next episode. Yeah, um, he, he gave us a really big email with a lot of questions for us to answer. So, so he gets his own segment, okay. He gets his very own segment. Wow. But and not he, in this episode. And if you'd like to send an email, uh, a voicemail, don't forget our voicemail line is 940-536-3763. sod. Yeah. I'm glad you know that. <laughs> and we are also at Saber I wrote it in my notes every time. Saberdivepodcast at gmail.com. Yes, which Liz said earlier. OSR Gaming, Facebook, Twitter, all those good places. Even though we, nobody I know, I think Crispy was the one that looked at the Twitter and now he's gone. None of us can get to the Twitter info. <laughs> yeah, we're So really if you're on sad. our Twitter feed and nothing's coming through, that's why. That's why, because so, yeah. none of us who are left do anything with the Twitter account because I don't twit and I don't think any of the rest of us do either. <laughs> Unfortunately, our lives just aren't that interesting. I have I have a Twitter account, but I find since I'm on Facebook, I find it redundant. Well, I don't use it. I, I have difficulty expressing myself in 145 characters or less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're a wordy bunch. I, I think that Twitter is, is hard for us. <laughs> Indeed. Ah. Okay, well, this episode, we're returning, speaking of the brown books, we are looking at the second supplement of the little brown books, Blackmore. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Which was 
apparently written by Dave Arneson. We will discuss that a little later because there's mm-hmm. some debate about that. Um, however, d- there is no debate that Dave Arneson's Blackmoor was the very first fantasy campaign of D&D-style adventuring. Yes, and he screwed it all up by putting sci-fi stuff in there. No, did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? That's awesome. Mm. I'm indifferent on it now. I used to be against it, now I'm indifferent. In, 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 in small, in small measure, doses, it, every now and then, just a little thing here and there, I don't have a problem with it. Mm. Or if it's set up like barrier peaks where you can't really take stuff effectively out of the thing and use it, I, I'm cool with it. But ah. Like everything, it's all about the storytelling. If it's, a, if it's a good story, no problem. Yeah. But let's talk about it more in Game On. Blackmore. Game on, game on. Game on. Game on, Mighty Diamond. Hmm. Crazy Diamond. Game on, game off. (laughs) The gamer. (laughs) The role playing kid, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that would be a great movie. (laughs) (laughs) Supplement to Blackmore was published in 1975, Mm -hmm. I believe. And like. Its predecessor, Greyhawk, it's divided up in a system which I guess they thought was good at the time, but always annoyed me, is the book is organized in three sections, like the three original books, but like each section is supposed to be tacked on to the end of each book. Uh. So there's the Men and uh, and Magic section, there's the Monsters and Treasure section, there's the Underground and Wilderness Adventures section. So they treat it like a bunch of supplements. I mean, a bunch of like... A book with three sub-books in it, except yeah. it's not designed particularly for you to cut it out. And it's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's like a, a book with three appendixes. Yeah, it's not even like the old Mulvey Cook, where you were at least theoretically able to Slice cut them dice. out and... Yeah, put them in a three-ring binder and move well, the pages to appropriate sections. Right. I know uh, Tim Cast told me when it came time to do AD&D that you know they didn't have computers. That's exactly what they did: is they took the little brown books and the supplements and cut them up into pages and started tacking them up on a wall and reorganizing that's them. The, that's the way you did it before computers. It's called layout or typing or typing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while I'm sure they would have really enjoyed people buying two or three copies so that it could be then cut up and added to mm. <laughs> it. It just bugs me. I, I think it, it, I guess it was a good idea at the time for them, but it just it was irritating. It's irritating to me looking at it now, but right. maybe it's just me. So we will talk about under Game On. We'll consider the section Men and Magic. Okay. What do we got in that? We have the, two new classes. The two most useless classes in the entire game. Yeah. Don't beat around the bush, Jim. Tell us what you really think. The monk and the assassin. Now, I'll give you the monk, but I think assassin, you would be mightily debated on the web over the assassin. Yeah. Especially since in Brown Book D&D, the assassin, unlike its AD&D counterpart, 
only had to be neutral in alignment, right. not chaotic. Right. I think I think the assassin is far. See, everybody's gonna. There's a lot of people out there. So you can't really completely dislike a class that has a great backstab table. I guess where I'm coming from is I want to play a heroic game, and there's nothing heroic about being an assassin. Great NPC class. Okay. James like Andy, Bond? Well, you like Andy Paladin. You could but James say. Bond? Well, Arguably, I mean, he's an assassin. I mean, he's a very romanticized, misogynistic assassin, sure. <laughs> I oh, choose. yes, because there's no misogyny in fantasy pulp literature, certainly. Well, I mean, <laughs> my personal preferences I'm expressing, as always, oh, if no, I, you I, and your group have fun with an assassin and, and you're having fun at the table, I'm all for it. No, I personally, I do think that the assassin class works better as an NPC for the DM's use. Um, really? Well, I will say, to the credit of Blackmore, that the very first thing they say about it is, under special circumstances ah. and in large campaigns, it is possible to allow the character of the assassin. Mm. So there, even they were kind of, you know, this isn't something you should throw out in every single campaign. Yeah, you know, to me, you need bigger- to really be, you know, thoughtful about whether or not there are going to even be assassins well, in your campaign. In their defense, the stage of D&D's evolution, their campaigns were largely military, and they were all walking around with, you know, armies of men-at-arms behind their characters, and that's a lot of guys for an assassin PC to go get. Yeah. yeah. And also, you know, thief, thieves backstab, too. In, but thieves have other uses, whereas the assassin... Right, right. But I'm saying, you know... Some if you, thief it, things, but... Well, you know, the, the, if you, the, if the James you, Bond comparison for the thief goes to Bilbo Baggins. Okay, well, that's a whole different thing. Right. Talking burglar here, um, uh, footpath. Yeah, to me, the biggest problem with the assassin is a, dare I say, role-playing rationale for them going out and adventuring. And it's a very, very narrow, you know, focus to where that type of character is useful. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're not actually assassinating people... Right. You know, what else are you going to have that character do other than just loiter about and carry a shield? Yeah, well, uh, you know. Especially as written in uh, Blackmore, it looks to me like if you were actually a player playing this, you'd have a character who was 90% of the time a gimped thief. Yeah, you True. have you have the you can disguise yourself, which is interesting. You know, it's possibly you know, useful. Yeah. yeah. And you know, but that's again, that's really only useful for say city type campaigns. If you're trying to infiltrate, it's say an enemy stronghold or something of that nature. If you're out in the wilderness, you know, what do you, I, I disguise myself as a tree? You know, <laughs> you know, that's not going to do much good. <laughs> so yeah, you know, assassins to the way I'm reading it in the supplement. There are only very limited occasions where that type of character is going to be fun for a player. Otherwise, you're going to be kind of at loose ends, and there's not a whole lot, you know, for you to do to let your actual character class, you know, be the star. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Well, it's going to come up later in the show anyway, but one of the things I did just to review this was to uh, compare it to First Fantasy Campaign that uh, ah. Dave Arneson published through Judges Guild, because part of what we're going to start asking is how much of this did Dave write and contribute and how much did the other people. And there's no trace of these two classes in any of the First Fantasy Campaign stuff. Right. I mean, he's got lots of things in there and in the other work about, okay, I do magic this way, different, I do well, hit points I this way, ask, different. Because I had always been under the impression, I can't remember where I heard it, but that Jim Ward actually came up with the monk class because really? of the old 70s TV show Kung Fu. Right, right. which it's very much like. Yes. And that, of course, made me think, well, Jim Ward didn't start off in Blackmore, ergo... Then this class, was it really Blackmorian, or was it just stuck in there as filler? It made me wonder if Quentin Tarantino played OD&D, too, because the monks have got that quivering palm attack that's just like Pyme's five-point palm exploding heart technique. Mm-hmm. They, at 12th level, they just walk up to you and touch you, and bang, you're dead. Boom. And that old Japanese manga, Fist of the North Star. Hokuto no Ken, yeah. Yeah, just... Same thing. Yeah, touch you, and it's like, you're already, already dead. Already dead. And then <laughs> a few minutes later... <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're different. <laughs> um, you know, I if you can run a monk and assassin in your games, that's great. But I agree, while I, I don't have a problem with the assassin necessarily, I just find, like Liz said, his utility is really limited unless you're running a city-type campaign. Yeah. Um, and, and the monk almost has the opposite problem because every time I've seen them play, they play way overpowered for whatever level they are. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Of course, okay. if you're a DM, you generally just throw area effect stuff at them. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they get that, that extra save, but you know, you just lay it on them, boom, boom, boom. Well, I didn't say I couldn't kill one, but. <laughs> But in like in OD and D, any weapon they pick up, they're plus four better with it, or something like that. Something like, yeah. yeah so you'd probably That's pretty be, good. Yeah, you'd probably be better off, you know, if you're having a campaign where everybody else is say eighth level. If someone wants to play a monk, make them come in at fifth or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is only a slight advantage to average party level. Okay. But yeah. uh, I don't really run a monk. I just run a monk. <laughs> so. I don't think I've ever run a monk. Neither I've run an assassin I. before, but I've never run a monk. I've never run either. But I personally, I've just never had that big of an interest in playing either type of character. Mm-hmm. I think the monk could be very interesting. You know, they've you certainly got right. all kinds yeah. of you know nifty little things that they can do. But right. yeah, just. For whatever reason, I've had no real interest in ever trying them out. Mm. When we tried them out back in the day, we were so young, we didn't connect the dots between the Kung Fu TV show and the character (laughs) class in the AD&D book. So we thought we were like, you know, with the bald-pated head and the (laughs) monk's robe, somehow wandering around hitting people. We always thought of that, that awful TV show, Master Ninja. Oh, the master? The master, yeah. Yeah. That's the ninja theme song. <laughs> yes. With, with, oh, God, Lee Van Cleef, I love you to death, but 
Boy, that was a wrong a wrong move. <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember the name of the young guy who was playing the. That was uh, that the was son a, of the guy Tim- who was on Tim- Eight Tim- Is Enough. That was Timothy Van Patten. Oh, Patton, yeah, yeah, that's it. You guys know what is. Is this another thing I'm going to have to go watch to stay on the show, like Hawk the Slayer? Because Hawk the Slayer was horrible. Well, of course it was horrible, that's but you must admit it's the standard D and D. You know, banter and, you know, you, when the group comes together, it, <laughs> it's like watching a and d episode. I just want to know if I have more homework. Well, no, no, no. no. I, you don't I, well, have there to is watch a, this. There is a Misty version of, of The Master. It's, yeah, they did They so. did two episodes on it because it, they put a couple episodes together and made a movie out of them. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. You, so if you are going to watch it, I would suggest find the MST3K version because you at least have the Misty. <laughs> oh, I it. I can hang with that. Okay, <laughs> that's wonderful. But yeah, about the only other thing for a PC oriented is they provide new magic items, which are as Blackmore for the most part has an aquatic. Emphasis, so it has things like helm of water breathing and various other goodies that can help you underwater. Magic tridents, a lot of stuff that ended up in the one EDMG actually. Uh huh. Basically, the gear you need to go underwater to have the underwater adventure. Yeah, without just you know staying under for a minute and a half and then dying, which isn't very exciting generally. Right. We had a druid when we were playing back in the day that beat that uh, Cloak of the Manta Ray up something fierce. He couldn't wait to get near water in that thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's He was rocking the Manta Ray, huh? I don't know if it was an Aquaman fetish or what, but he just was ready to go. <laughs> I remember whenever a Cloak of the Manta Ray came up in Treasure, everybody was pissed off because it was like, oh, man, because we never got around water. So it was like, True. oh, man, what a lame magic item. True. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the, there's a there's a comic book, you know, theme behind all this because you've got uh, seahorses you can ride in Blackmore and a trident of controlling fish. That's pretty Aquaman. Oh yeah, yeah. and aquatic elves just, and things. Now we just had sea monkeys. That would have been perfect. I thought that was your Sahugan. Sahugan? No, no, they're not monkeys. They're they're yeah. But anyway. Well, now let's talk about the DM side of things, and we'll move into DM Fiat. Okay. Nope. Sorry. What? Uh, nope, you're wrong. Look it up. I don't have to look it up. It's common knowledge. Nope. No, no, no! DM Fiat. Zoom, zoom. This is actually, I'd probably say two-thirds of this is rather more geared to the Dungeon Master. Yeah. Which, the term was first used in this book. But, ironically, it was only used by Gary to refer to uh, Dave Arneson. I loved reading the foreword, I must say. That was a very, (laughs) you know, and... They they were still friends when they wrote Yeah, I was about to say, there's, you know, everybody knows the or should probably knows about the hostility that broke out between the two shortly after D&D came out. But I thought the foreword written by Gary Gygax about Dave Arneson was very kind. Yes. I I think he was really talking Dave up there. Well, more than kind, when when Gary Gygax says, this is my favorite campaign to play in, that's pretty good. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but yeah, throughout the rest of the book, like in prior Brown Book D&D, it's always used the referee. Or judges. Or judges, yeah. Hence, but, Judges Guild. Yep. But, yeah, one of the things that pops out on this is lots of monsters, lots of subsequent stuff. But I look right now at, we're going to talk about new rules. I look at giant monster hit locations? Come on. Yeah. It's not even giant monsters. There are tables. There are pages and pages of tables on how to roll to figure out where you have hit your opponent. You break and hit points down you, into percentiles. Oh, brother. If you like that kind of, of thing, it's cool. But personally, I'm like, eh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's... This bogs combat down way too much for my taste. It does. I want to keep the game moving. (laughs) You can describe somebody getting hit in the arm. You don't have to roll and find out how many hit points the arm has. Yeah, and then they lose the arm. And, well, it may kill them. It may not. Excuse me. It's called a femoral artery. You know, they're going to (laughs) die. It's all hit points. Never mind. From, like, a history perspective, I like reading this because it shows you how freeform and experimental they were in those days. But yes. the, the hit locations table is just flat-out contradictory to what they laid down in the original rules, how hit points work. What's the concept of hit points? Is it Yeah, the abstractness of combat. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder, you know, is this something – was this play-tested? Who play-tested it? How long was it play-tested? Or was it a – you know, everybody's whining about we don't have hit locations. That's not realistic. Okay, fine. Here's something. You know, this hit location table is like Windows 8. You know, kudos <laughs> for trying something really cool and new, but it doesn't work. Yeah, stop yeah, that. It just it hurt my it hurt my head looking at it. Just no. And, and not only do you have hit location tables, but they have different tables depending on whether you are fighting a humanoid or a bird-type creature, or a reptile, I or an insect, and yeah. fish. Wait, you gotta, have, you gotta have that snake table, because snakes don't have limbs to what, Well, I love the, especially one of the tables about the, the bird creatures, like, well, you can hurt, hit these areas if you're fighting it from the ground, from behind it. If you're above it coming down, you can only hit these areas. I'm like, what are you, oh jumping off a, a cliff? Uh-huh. <laughs> I have a fly spell or something. Who knows? But <laughs> hey, you know, there's one table I missed on there. They didn't have hit locations for a clam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because everybody knows, hey, clams got feet. Yeah, everybody's going to get that one. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> one. <laughs> yep. Hit location, one or shell. No, two feet. There we go. You're set. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd use my arrow to pin one of his feet to the so, floor. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess. You got the top shell, the bottom shell. <laughs> yeah. A for effort, guys, but ouch. That just. No, thank you. Now, another section that shows up in the Underground and Wilderness Adventures that's for DMs is the first treatment of diseases. Old game writers love talking about diseases. Yeah, I mean, obviously certain monsters like mummy rot had a certain disease ability, but this is just plain old. Yeah, black plague and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I guess if you're wandering around a predominantly marshy area like Blackmore was supposed to be, Uh then, yeah, okay, yeah, 
you're going to have diseases. Even had a couple of made-up ones. Even had the stats for the crud. The crud? The crud. Oh, my goodness. That's one of the diseases listed in there. What would a bunch of college student playtesters know about that? <laughs> Indeed. Well, at least it didn't have something worse, I suppose. Well, you can't hang around the tavern too long. You get that disease beer nuts. Mm. Uh. Thank you, George Carlin. Yeah. So. You'll <laughs> be here all week, folks. Don't forget to tip your <laughs> DM. Week. How often do y'all use, whenever you DM, as, how often do y'all use diseases? Glenn? Um, small to never. <laughs> okay. I, you know, I... It, it's a nice section, and every it seems like every RPG has a section on diseases. It's a nice section if I ever need it, but I never needed it. So, Jim, uh, no place in a fantasy role playing campaign, in my uh, view, unless it is somehow integral to the story, or the players are just doing something fantastically stupid, like you know. Uh, setting up their base camp in a sewer somewhere or something. Well, you know what? If I ever write a role-playing game, one-third of the book is going to have all those kind of tables for, like, diseases and drowning and stuff, and I'm going to title it Tables for When Players Are Really Stupid. Because that's what they're there for. That's the only reason they're there for. Or killer DMs. Yeah, that tr- that's true. Liz? Uh, very rarely. I would say the only times I even think about bringing in the possibility of disease is when adventurers are, say, you know, like you said, spending a lot of time in a really rank sewer type of environment. If they are going through a scene of mass carnage where they are surrounded by a lot of dead and rotting bodies you know just a a battlefield yeah they're going through a recent battlefield and you know there's a lot of stuff just breeding all around them as they're going through or you know again when you say have them attacking an Atyug or a Neo-Atyug there's always the possibility of contracting a disease when you're you know going through its little fetid layer. Yep. Um, but yeah, those are really the only times is, you know, in unusual circumstances. I don't tend to roll for the possibility of getting a disease as a matter of course if they're in a town or something. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's going a bit too far. <laughs> there, there just should be more heroic business at hand than worrying about whether or not you're going to get the plague. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I always treated disease sort of like the weather Unless there's something that is really impeding, you know, like wandering through a swamp where there's an obvious chance of getting yellow fever or something, or mummy rot or something like that, you know, say with weather, unless there's like a thunderstorm or a blizzard or something, I'm not worried about, well, it's damp with a 30% chance of precipitation. You know, we don't care. Who cares? <laughs> with like, can- in a world with lycanthropy, like, or I can't say the word suddenly. Yeah, that. Anthropy? And rot grubs and poison traps and God knows what else. You know, you want to put diseases on them too? Nah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the only time I've ever used 
quote unquote normal diseases is if I was running a module which specifically said if they go through the swamps, you know, they have a blah chance of getting it. But yeah, just off the cuff, I've never really worried about it. Now, Odinus, my DM, might have a different view on this <laughs> because he makes us roll for the damnedest things. <laughs> Does he make y'all roll for diseases? If we had any, he probably would. If so happy. if he if he starts doing it shortly after this episode goes to <laughs> to air, then you'll know. <laughs> well, yeah, I, mean, I go I go to the next game. He does it. You will never be on this show <laughs> yeah. ever. It's a set of tables for normal campaign, no. But I mean, if it was somehow integral to the storytelling, like you've got a an Excalibur King Arthur setup where the land is without a king and you've been sent out to get the Grail and the kingdom's falling apart, mm-hmm. and you know, okay, now maybe you're talking. Okay, there's peasants with diseases because the land's falling apart. It's part of your mission to go fix that. Or then maybe high priest whose bag is throwing pestilence across the land or yeah, something. Or a, yeah. A- a magical disease, or the disease itself is a regular disease, but it's being spread by magical means. Sure, mm-hmm. I mean, right. uh, uh, cause disease from an evil cleric, there you go. Yeah, okay. Well, also in that section, just before the disease section, actually, <clears throat> is yes. the NPC class, the Sage. Now that this is was when it was first introduced. Now that is interesting. Yeah, that was, um, that was pretty good. I, I just like the, the, the whole early setup version of this character because they, they took this, and I think it was for AD&D later in Dragon Magazine, but it's a nice little set of rules for how to how to manage a, a, what the players are going to use as a player resource. They're going to yeah. run to this guy when they need info. Okay. Right. Since you're the 1E-ish person, it's been so long since I've looked at 1E. You can correct me if I'm wrong. but You're wrong. It looks mostly <laughs> – I'm not talking 2E – it looks like that the sage rules were pretty much what made it into the 1E DMG, except their ability to curse, which I think is a real pity, because I love their ability to curse. Well, I'm, I'm with you on that, just because player characters tend to abuse things. NPCs. Yeah, well, let's get the information, and then when he asks for payment, let's just kill him. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> no, because in this book, it allows sages with their dying breath to curse it, their murderer. <laughs> and yes. anyone who reads the Jim Butcher Dresden Files books will recognize that as something that wizards can do in his stories. Well, that'd be a great ability. Yeah. To, well, now we couldn't extend it to evil high priests. Nobody'd ever go after them. <laughs> Knock them down to one hit point, and then hope they trip or something. Well, you you cast a, a silence ten foot radius, and then you kill him. Ah, but does the curse have to actually be spoken? I would rule that. I wouldn't. <laughs> I, would. I wouldn't. Or I you would stop worrying about the curse and just welcome what's the plot hook to your next adventure. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Now, if it's a sage who who's getting murdered by PCs for no reason other than they're cheap, mm-hmm. oh no, it, I would not. I find it, I find it I find it interesting in Second Edition Forgotten Realms, they mostly refer to wizards as sages, hmm. which which I think is a direct callback to this. 
Except most of... Well, I guess once you have non-weapon proficiencies and all that lovely stuff... Yeah. You can... They can get that specialty like a sage does. Ooh, yeah. cut it out. I'm, I'm feeling the 2E love from here. <laughs> I radiate it. <laughs> I don't dislike 2E. I just don't like non-weapon proficiencies. And that argument works on 1E as well. At least later 1E. True. True. I'm not going to give you any argument there. It's, But anyway, so good use, good NPC. I like the curse since it's only worthwhile to basically prevent the PCs from killing and right. taking stuff. Right. Good enough rules that if you were running Holmes or uh, Mulde Cook, you could just lift the sage right out and drop it right in. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's pretty seamless. Um, it is, it is. And speaking of seamless and stuff that later goes to Mulvey Cook, uh-huh. the very first TSR published adventure is in the Ooh. back of this thing. The Temple of the Frog. I've played so many versions of this. It looks interesting. I just don't like its actual execution. It seems like it was a really good idea. Really? Uh, yeah. Well, I just don't like how it's executed. I don't like Steve the Alien. Uh, <laughs> well, it's got bigger problems than Steve the Alien. It's 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 not a OD and D dungeon crawl as much as it is a chainmail scenario. Yeah, I was gonna say it's there's like, like half a the thousand. There's a thousand troops in that place. Yeah, and, yeah, half and the ad- thousands of these killer frogs. If you go into the breeding pond area, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. like. Ah! Well, yeah, it's half the adventure. One that idol, and and you've you know got twelve hundred giant frogs on your butt. (laughs) Half of the adventure is basically describing the fortifications and troop numbers, right? Yeah, and and deployment. So yeah, it like you said, it's chainmail. Well, John Peterson talked about this in playing at the world, and and it's it's really good look at this. This is like a screen capture of how uh, Dave Arneson was running his campaign at the time, because they were all mid to high level player characters running around with armies of men's men at arms. Which, by the way, the Temple of the Frog in here does not give a level recommendation range. Yeah, now the later myself. Yeah, the later DA one Temple of the Frog. If you think back was on... was for 5 to 8 characters of levels 10 to 14. That's right. If you think back on pre-publication D&D, he's the guy who created Brownstein. And that seems to spill over into here. I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what that is. Well... Please explain. What's a Brownstein? Well, I'm, I'm about to tell you. Um... <laughs> Uh, he came up with the idea of actually putting some personality in the people who are actually going to be fighting in these wars. And he picked, he made a town called Brownstein in Germany, if I remember correctly. If somebody wants to write in and tell me wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And he basically had everybody create individual characters rather than a unit. And they were supposed to get into the town. They were scouts before the army got in there, before the other army got in there, and like, you know, do whatever, tell the people, loot it, whatever. And they were all working at cross-purposes. So it was like pre-role-playing. So this was Dave Arneson? This, is Dave, this? Ar- this was Dave Arneson. Okay. And they so ran, it's kind of a skirmish game. It's a kind of a skirmish game, yes. But he added the role-playing elements into it. Okay. Um, and from what I said, it was so popular, 
I think up until he died, they were running Brownsteins every year. Okay. He well, to give – I mean, Dave sometimes gets rode over rough, but to give him his props, his campaign stuff in any version he ever publishes is just full of rich characters. It's it's very much like some of the Judges Guild products. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, Invisible yeah. State of the, City State of the Overlord. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just – I guess it came from all those years of playing diplomacy or whatever, but there's yeah. no. <laughs> That'll do it for you. Yeah, but getting back to Temple and how it does not give any kind of level suggestions, you know, you really need to read through it to get an idea of what would be best to do with this. And as you do read through and you see that there are instances where you could very easily be set upon by, you know, just scores of men or, you know, hundreds, thousands of monsters, you know, not to mention there is quite a lot of treasure that you can get out of this, both your, both your standard treasure and your magic items, you know, that in addition to the stuff that you're facing, you know, after you've read through it, you find, you know, you get the idea, this is meant for a pretty high-level campaign. You, know, right. you do not want to be sending first to third-level people in here. They're not going to make it. <laughs> there is an artifact in there that I believe is what became, you know, somebody can write in and correct me or not, but it's it's not named. It's just a, a rare organ. Oh, yeah. But I believe that's Heward's mystical organ. From the later one EDMG. Sure oh, I think I bet you're right. Sure, it's not yeah. a cat in Oregon. No, we're pretty okay. sure. Okay. So yeah, and there's a lot of uh, treasure maps in there too, which I think is even cooler. Mm-hmm. Um, because and then not only is that a bit of treasure, but you've got a plot hook to get them to go somewhere. Right. There was a very interesting thing that was done with the temple, and that is these special rings, and in some cases, chains of office, that if you, oh, yeah, wore, yeah, them, yeah. Yeah, if you wore them, it allowed you access into various parts of the temple without having to worry about setting off traps and stuff. Because very nice. It was oh. like that area of the place recognized that you had the right to be there because you were wearing the regalia. And those I ma- thought that was a neat little idea. Those magic rings were like key cards in Metamorphosis Alpha or Gamma World. Yeah, it, like a, kind of like a weird mix between, you know, the nine rings in the Lord of the Rings stories mm-hmm. and, you know, little ID cards. <laughs> but I thought that was pretty cool. I liked that idea. So, yeah, it's got some really interesting things to it. And yes, a lot of the security on those doors are technological. Mm-hmm. I found it interesting because the technology is treated almost as if... I, you know, like a lot of modern games treat magic. Uh-huh. You know, it's kind of like, well, this is how modern scientific stuff works, but magic, well, it's just magic. We're not going to really describe how you can do stuff with it. It's almost that's how the technology is treated in this module as compared to magic, because in D&D, you know, magic has rules, it's got levels, it's got number of times a day, da, da. whereas a lot of the stuff the technology can do in here is, well, it's just technology, it does it. You know, there's no... <laughs> discussion of what it can or cannot do otherwise. But you could almost sense in Dave's campaigns that there was just a sort of casualness to the play because it's, there's a lot of that uh, non-genre stuff in the 
game. And then the language he uses that comes through is like the goodies and the baddies, the good guys and the bad guys, oh. sort of casual slang. So they, he was, you could tell from this, Dave Arneson wasn't all about the these and the thous, and this is Tolkien. Yeah, he wanted yeah. action. You know, so, there are androids in there, so. <laughs> so do you think we can agree that Temple of the Frog, at least, was obviously written by Dave Arneson? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the maps yeah. even match later versions, like in First Fantasy Campaign. The maps match, so. Okay. Yeah. So we're not sure what else he did, but. He did that. <laughs> we're, we're at least sure of that. Cool. So, okay, cool. Time to move on. How about we'll slip into, we'll just go on into random encounters then. Okay. We take what we want and leave the rest. Just like your salad bar. Nothing up must leave. Presto! You will come out no more. What? Huh? What will come out no more? Random Encounters. Random Encounters. Now we're going to talk about some of the monsters that came into the book. Mm-hmm. And everybody... You got your two types. Two types? Yeah, yeah. Aquatic monsters and anything else you can think of, giant. Yeah, <laughs> giant fill in the blanks. Yeah, there seems to be a rather disturbing emphasis on reptiles and aquatic creatures in Blackmore. I'm just wondering if maybe he got a bunch of plastic monsters, you know, like in the little bags, you know, you could get of crazy, you know, crazy lizards and dinosaurs and weird stuff. And he just got a bag of those at the store for a quarter. The weirdest. And here are the monsters. It's a bunch of frogs. You know, what you just said is exactly where like uh, uh, rust monsters and. uh, Oh, yeah. I just blanked out. Land shark. Boulets came from. Yeah. Yeah. Japanese plastic dinosaur toys. Well, I'm the weirdest one I found in here was the Minotaur lizard. <laughs> and Which seems thing, to look nothing whatsoever like a Minotaur. Well, the funny thing is it just gives, doesn't give any description. It just tells you how, how much it'll hurt you and how long they live and what their basic form of attack is. So I guess what else do players really need to know? <laughs> yeah. Especially what, what the do how DMs much need to know? Yeah, uh, it would have been nice. I mean, yeah, of course they say, "Oh, you make whatever you know, make whatever you want." Yeah, I know, but you know, it'd be nice to be given a direction. That's not out of character for this generation of rules, though. They did a lot of that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I wonder if, it, I wonder if they meant it to be a giant monitor lizard. <laughs> Could be. Just I, not, I, it was a typo. That's all they will tell you is they in no way resemble dragons or fire lizards. Yeah. Right. Well, that's great. But it's called <laughs> a minotaur, so is it a minotaur? <laughs> I, I could probably draw one, but <laughs> it's basically snake people, snake-headed people. <laughs> so is the mon- minotaur lizard your favorite, Glenn? No. I'm going to go with two of them, Giant Octopus, Giant Squid. It's the Harryhausen slash 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in me. Okay. Well, they're very similar, just a matter of aggressiveness and size. Fire up the the Nautilus. We have to get it. What about you, Glenn? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Glenn Jr. here. Uh, (laughs) Glenn Jim. Do you really want to be known as Glenn Jr.? (laughs) (laughs) Sir, I don't think my voice will drop that low. I'll, I'll buy you a little... Black fedora. Okay. 
<laughs> oh, with the right costume, I might pass for your son. Then he'll look like, like Phil from What's New with Phil and Dixie. You're like three heads taller than me. <laughs> um, three heads taller than everyone. Well, I've got two, two heads. I mean, never mind. We're getting, getting a little awesome. I thought we were all going to agree on Sohagen because that's just the archetypal D&D monster. Sohagen? I, we always learn to say it's Sohagen. I don't know if I'm saying it right or not. Mike says it right. <laughs> well, I have... I, I have to sing I song spoke it to the creator. I, I spoke to the creator who said it was Sahoygan, like Sheboygan. Okay. You still do it, Sahoygan. But we like Sahoygan. Because it's which, just so fun. <laughs> which one of our game store owners started doing, and it just stuck in our heads. And it could be Sahoygan. Sahoygan. Well, in that case, my favorite monster is Sahoygan. <laughs> <laughs> Because they're just, you know, your basic sea orcs. They look like the creature from the Black Lagoon. They are always washing up on shore, causing trouble. Yeah. They're the goblins. Absolutely no redeeming qualities, except they're a lot tougher than than orcs. (laughs) And uh, so if I can't have a dragon turtle, because that's not in this supplement, I want Sohagen. Okay. What, not a Lacanth? (laughs) Or a deep one? Yeah. Anyway, Liz, what's your favorite? Well, I did not follow the rules, and I did not pick an aquatic monster. I picked the giant wasp. Um, not the aquatic smurf? Not the aquatic smurf, no. Um, it sounds like Mike doing Liz doing Mike. Yeah. But um, I really enjoyed the, the giant wasp write-up, especially with the effects of the sting once you were stung. Um if you're not killed immediately, then you have to have a neutralized poison spell within 24 hours or be, or die. And not only that, but within an hour of being stung, you become, you know, immobilized. Wow. Now, first you need help to move at all. And then after, you know, several more hours, any movement will kill you. So if you don't have help within a certain amount of time, you know, you can't even be moved without it killing you. Shake the shoulder. Hey, Billy, are you awake? (laughs) No. Clara! (laughs) Oil can! Oil can! (laughs) And to make it even more interesting, you know, if you do die from from the giant wasp sting, then your chances of being brought back to life... By any means, you know, are is reduced considerably. Like thirty percent is knocked off of your, you know, resurrection or, you know, system they don't shock. Why though? Do they? No, and I'm guessing it's simply because of you know the massive overload of the poison in your system or something. Yeah. A, but, a um, crimson horror. A, a crimson horror. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> um, a Doctor Who reference. Yes. Um, but yeah, I just think you know it's a, it's a lot more interesting than just you get stung and save or die for the poison, and otherwise you just lose some hit points. You know, you you've got it's an ongoing thing. You know, if you manage to survive, you still need to to do some pretty oomphy stuff quickly yeah there's some some monsters that do some weird stuff in there like the giant lamprey right you know it draws blood but it's not number of hit points it's a level 
Ooh. You know, it's almost like, you know, getting hit by undead. Like, Wait, that can't be right. <laughs> That's what it says. Ouch. And I'm like, holy crap. So, <laughs> so I mean, from giant leeches. That's kind of the old school save or die thing. I mean, I could just see a party of guys going, oh, it's giant wasp. How hard could these be? Let's take them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, if you were in the water, I'd give them a sting that has a poison, which is a variation on Otto's irresistible dance. And you start doing an Esther Williams routine in the water. <laughs> really, Glenn? You would do that? No way. Yes, yes, I would. No way. Yes, I would. You owe me a beer. Anyway. Uh, I, I, so. I, I would. I, I wouldn't get stung because my armor class would be ascending. <laughs> so the sting ascended to kill you. Anyway. <laughs> well, my favorite monster, ironically enough, was the boring beetle, which is not boring at all. So you have like Ringo Starr in a cave just boring everybody to hell. Oh, no. These things are the most intelligent of the beetles. Oh, yes. They... Raise yellow mold as food source. Old McDonald's. As well as other slimes and jellies as little Petri dishes for where they can go and eat them. So you go in their lair. Uh huh. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Got tons of fun stuff. Oh, yeah. So the beetles That'll themselves be may not be that tough, but whoo-hoo. Yeah, he must be a government beetle. 40 acres and a slime. <sighs> yeah. So that's my favorite. Okay, we'll let you. <laughs> and let's go and do products of your imagination. All right, we will. Before we do, yes. I do want to say something else about the, the monster section. What? As with many of the other brown book supplements that give you new monsters, these monsters are not in any way, shape, or form in any kind of particular order. They're just randomly right. out there. We're, we're going to discuss that under products, because that's a format. <laughs> Let's go. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. They're the Cheetos! They're right next to you. Well, all you do is we play the characters we talked about earlier, and we run around and stuff. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Use your lightning bolt. <laughs> Victory is yours. I'm attacking the darkness. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. You're not there. You're getting drunk. Products of your imagination. We I'm made it. Discuss it as actually a gaming product. Okay. You may now continue ranting, Liz. Yes, Liz. Please continue okay. your, pad, um, your pagination where, rant. Where, where, where did I leave off? Oh yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> It Are you really, okay, Jim? No, I am not okay. This is so horrid for when you're trying to look up something in these books because you can't count on it being alphabetical. And so you're trying to figure out where the giant otter is. And so you're just kind of flipping through randomly until you reach the page that it's on. <laughs> Well, they told you in the forward which section it would be in. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. And a thirty-three percent chance of which section it's in. And I, get, I think gamers make the old school gamers make up a third of the sales of those people who sell those tabs in office supply stores. But that and 
another rather interesting thing about the monsters section. You've got several pictures of monsters, (laughs) none of which are actually in this section. You've got a picture. Oh yeah, an Umber Hulk. Umber Hulk. Yes. Nobody, nobody mentions Umber Hulks anywhere yeah. in the book. We've got an Umber Hulk. We've got a Harpy. We've got Hellhounds. None of these monsters are actually there. None of the. They should have been in Greyhawk, not Blackmore. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is one we can clearly not blame on Dave, Dave Arneson and, and lay the blame squarely on Tim Cask. He he ran yes. short a copy and said, "I got to fill this." Yeah. And you I got can, some good art. And we nominate you to tell him. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, he's already annoyed at you. So you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can handle yeah, it's it. It's almost like a little practical joke within the book. We're going to put some pictures of monsters in, but it's not going to be any of the monsters that are actually described. <laughs> the third supplement, Eldritch Wizardry, should have had some minotaur lizards and, you know giant wasps and stuff in it, but it didn't. You know what I think the problem is, is they were just learning how to write rule books because it's like you don't ever have engineers write the documentation for the product because engineers can't write. And this thing, what you're talking about, they've just organized it in a way they understand completely, so you should too. (laughs) Not only that, as much as I love Black Book Classic Traveler, I mean, at least these had art. Oh, right. Original Black Book, three books, Classic Traveler, had no art at all. Not and even on the covers. And sans serif body copy text. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, at least this had some art. We will, we can give it that at least. I, is this Dave Sutherland's first art job? Is this supplement? It may have been. He's got some nice pieces in this. Yeah, there were a couple of things I was talking to Mike earlier. It's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure, you know, like the picture of the Sahugan, you know, actually <laughs> made it over into the AD&D Monster Manual because There's- that one coming out of the water, it looks uh-huh. almost exactly to me, just from my memory, like the picture when you get to the Sahugan in the Monster Manual. He's like, ah, yeah. there you go. You know. Yeah. And there's a Dave Sutherland piece that I think became the logo for the Dungeon Hobby Shop that's in this supplement. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Anyway, I'd be curious uh, to know, did it be- go in this supplement and then become the logo? Or was it the logo and Tim needed some clip art? So, <laughs> Anyway, what? Well, here, let me let me start writing these questions down so I can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how is Blackmore as a campaign setting? I must say, for the most part, there really is no campaign setting here. Ah, just that's why you need first fantasy campaign. Yeah, because except for some little bits that are given away in the Temple of the Frog write-up, it's mostly just how to do underwater campaigns and um, you know new monsters, new classes, da da da. Kind of like well, where, kind of like the Greyhawk supplement wasn't really about Greyhawk. Well, it's in fairness, there's less about Blackmore right. than than. Greyhawk was about Greyhawk. What were you saying, Jim? I was just about to make the same point. Uh, oh, there's, okay. there's more Blackmore campaign in this book than there was Grey, Greyhawk campaign in Greyhawk. All right. Really? Yeah. Okay, I would have said it the other way around, but okay. It's been a while since I've looked at – it's been a few weeks since I looked at the Greyhawk one. So. Cool. I, I, I think I agreed with you. I, I, I attempted to say the same thing. <laughs> oh. Well. Something. Something. Talk we try. We anyway. try. We try around here. So, yeah, as a campaign setting, 
No. You want to play in Blackboard? Yeah, Blackboard. <laughs> <laughs> That's my software that I teach. Yeah, folks, college, it's towards so. the end of the podcast, and we're all running yeah. out of juice. Okay, Blackmore. If you want to run a game in Blackmore, this is very, very little assistance in that regard. Yeah. Um, gotcha. If you're wanting to run generic underwater stuff, or you've just got a desperate urge to use hit locations, and you yeah, can okay, build zones to use giant creatures. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Glenn though. If you have a burning desire to run uh, the Blackhawk Black God, listen to me now. <laughs> <laughs> the Blackboard campaign setting, and you want to do it old school as opposed to the stuff that came on later down the road. Uh, First Fantasy Campaign 1980 Judges Guild is a good campaign setting. Yes, it is. And we'll be discussing that in a future podcast. That's right. Uh, about as much as guild co- coverage. That's right. With without any interference this time. Anyway, um, how useful is a product? Um. <laughs> Don't leave home without it, or <laughs> it doesn't hold up to Greyhawk and Eldritch Wizardry at all. If you want to do underwater type adventures, uh-huh. I think it could be very useful. Um, again, if you are playing, you know, OD and D. Or, in my case, when I make a gestalt of OD&D and holes. Uh-huh. Uh, however, I don't do a lot of underwater stuff. So, for me, this book would be of overall of limited use. And but when it me- comes to that niche, I think it would be very... It's very good to have if you need that niche. If you need and that to info. clarify, this does not give information on... Boats or sea combat. Right. Just it gives information of literally adventuring underwater. Right. Sunken cities. You know. Things like that. Ships. Da da da. That's. Yeah. And even then, much of that is less rules and more just suggestions. And you know. Suggestions. And you know. And you know, the whole book to me comes off as an afterthought. Uh, almost like here's stuff we should have put in the other books. Let's put it in this one. Well, there's a reason for that. Oh, enlighten us. A, uh, one of the people yeah. credited in this book, I'll say it that way, um, has uh, told me the story of how it all came together, which is interestingly a story that I've also read. Uh, he's he since passed, but uh, Rob Bledsoe also had similar uh, troubles assembling uh, First Fantasy campaign. It was just a bunch of, like a big basket of notes, campaign notes. Right. <laughs> Was how uh, the manuscript yeah. was turned in. So there was a lot of, and and I mean, you can find historical evidence of it because they announced it in uh, Strategic Review, and then it took almost a year to come out, and they're apologizing for it. And John Peterson talks about it in uh, Playing at the World, where there okay. there were there were production problems, presses breaking, um, there were so it, it it's piecemeal uh, because that's the way it happened. Which again gets gets to the subject of quote unquote. Who wrote Supplement to Blackmore? Dave Arson. Maybe. I mean, it's credited to him. Well, if it were. There are people, you know, like Tim Kask, um, Rob Kuntz, who have suggested that they actually did a lot of the work. Ah, okay. Um, Based based on what I know and have studied, I would say if it was a movie, it would be screenplay by Tim Kask and Gary Gygax from a story by Dave Arneson, additional material by Rob Kuntz and Steve Marsh. That'll work. 
that that's that's been the general discussion, you know, as to who said what. I've never read that Dave Arneson necessarily refuted that. Right. Um, that doesn't mean he didn't. I've just never read it. Did, has anyone else? Nope. Uh, I can't say I have one way or the other. Yeah. Well, I mean, sticking to things anybody could go look up and read. In Strategic Review, Gary's talking about Dave moving down to uh, Lake Geneva, and he's got all these ideas for games that TSR is going to publish, and and Blackmore was a part of this, and Dave moved down and started working for TSR, and, uh, you know, no other games came out. So there's something that happened in there. And he only worked less than a whole year, right? Right. I believe, yeah. And that gets into company, you know, stuff. Who knows? Right. We're only bringing this up as an issue as, you know, it is listed as Dave Arneson, and there's a question of what's Dave Arneson's Blackmore. And this is called Blackmore, but maybe there's a few gems of Dave Arneson's actual Blackmore in here, but don't go looking for a whole lot. So it's Blackmore by Dave Arneson and his friends. Well, you know, you know, his friends and by... From notes given by Dave Arneson. Yes. As I told mean, to. Any mm. collaborative writing effort, it's usually a good tool if you want to try and figure out who did what parts to compare it to more solo work. So if you want to know how much of the Blackmore supplement is Dave Arneson, you can just compare it to what appeared later in the first, things he did. He like did was sole author on. Right. Like yeah. exactly. Barrier Peaks and stuff like that. Well, no, he didn't do Barrier Peaks. He didn't do Barrier Peaks? No, no, that, that was, was Gygax. Ah, okay. No, he did do the um, writing of the module, the full DA1 Blackmore. Okay. And then there were like a couple of other DA modules for Basic Expert. Um, okay. Know, was it DA3 was City of the Gods? Yeah. I'm, I forget what DA2 was. Um, couldn't tell you. Because that involved Black... That was when they put Blackmore, which is ironic because... You know, Blackmore was – there's a section of the Greyhawk map from the Greyhawk folio uh-huh. campaign world at the very top just labeled Blackmore. Um, but it was never specified for in, you know, the Greyhawk campaign world. That section was never really talked about. Right. That, that's a leftover from how these guys game because their kingdoms yeah, the great all kingdom. were on – Yeah. Yeah, which was part of the Castle and Crusade Society's miniature – Medieval war games, fantasy war games. Right. Um, then I'm given to understand they stuck Blackmore into Mistara. As yeah. Some sort of prehistoric kingdom or something. I'm yeah, sure they put they, they put Blackmore in Mistara like 2,000 years in the past. So it was kind of a fallen empire kind of thing. Right. With right. ruins and relics. And right. stuff. You want to play Blackmore? We just move the clock back type of thing. Did it still have a mix of magic and technology? Um, I think so. I couldn't. Okay. I couldn't swear on it, but hmm. it's been a, it's been a while. In fact, I need to get Brian on here to talk about Mistara sometime. Yeah. In fact, they had a. I'm, I'm looking at the ACM right now for like Adventures in Blackmoor that the DA set. Mm-hmm. Um, in there was scheduled for production a DA five City of Blackmoor, which was a Mistara module scheduled for production sometime in the late 1980s, but was canceled. What yeah. was uh, DA two? DA two was Temple of the Frog. Ah, so what was, was 
Day one was Adventures in Blackmore. By ah, Dave, okay. Dave Arneson and David Ritchie, Temple of the Frog by Dave Arneson and Dave Ritchie, City of the Gods by Dave Arneson and Dave Ritchie, and Duchy of Ten by Dave, David Ritchie. I notice that he's not doing any of it on his own. He's doing it with this Ritchie. Yeah. I wonder if we could find him, David Ritchie. I don't know. Maybe we should uh, maybe we should try to hunt him up. That would be an interesting conversation to have as a kind of a addendum to talking about Blackmore. Now, now according to Asim, it says, Bruce Hurd in charge of the D&D product line at the time was said that this module was never even designed, let alone produced and shipped. However, contributor Dave Kaiser has told us that the module was actually nearly completed and the material is now currently with a company, Zeitgeist Games, who plans on releasing a Blackboard D20 module in collusion with Arneson. But that's probably dated dated information. Yeah, they did, and they did. They issued Castle Blackmore... And no, no, I remember, I remember the big, it was Dave Arneson's Blackmore. Blackmore, yeah. I've oh, never I, seen I, it. I, I just saw that in the store the other day. Yeah, I saw it half price. <laughs> yeah, I almost picked it up, too. All right, well, I think then we need to move to giving this thing dragons. And okay. we'll start with Liz, since she's been able to keep the most <laughs> level head and calm demeanor about the layout oh, of the product. sure, you bet. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, I'm only going to give this three dragons. Okay. Um, and okay. it's not simply because of the layout, such as it is, of the various monsters and how difficult it is to find what you want. Um, <laughs> it's primarily because, like I said earlier, this is really useful only in a very limited niche setting. And so... For overall use as a product, I personally would not use it very often. And so I only give it three. Okay. Jim? Uh, I'm going to go with two dragons. Uh, I've never personally run OD&D, but everyone I know that does uh, runs OD&D plus Greyhawk. And I think there's a reason for that. Okay. Glenn? Uh, I go with two also. Um, it's nice to have that information when you absolutely need it. It's one of those things where, oh God, we're going to do it next time. I wish I had those that those that information. We're going to go underwater, but you know, I, if I'm, I'm if any DM is worth the salt, can probably figure out how to work an underwater adventure. So it's kind of like for a completist thing. You know what I mean? Um, okay. If you want you want to use it, go ahead. But if you have to have all the books, go go get it. <laughs> you know. Okay. Well, I'm going to be the hard ass. One dragon. Right on. Why? <laughs> because, I mean, there's a few good nuggets in here, but all of it is just suggest. I mean, there's no real hard and fast things in here. Like you were saying, Glenn, any DM worth their salt could come up with this stuff. Now, mm-hmm. granted, it was written at a time where there weren't very many experienced DMs. Right. And I'd like to give it some slack there, but... You know, there's no real – much of the underwater stuff aren't, aren't actually rules. Most of it is just suggestions. Suggestions, yeah. You know, thematic ideas. And, well, you know, I could look up a fantasy – you know, Wizard of Earth, see if I wanted thematic ideas. I don't <laughs> need to pick up Blackmore. Um, I think Temple of the Frog has some good possibilities, but I, in my opinion, it would need some revamping. 
for a role playing module. Now, again, like Jim was saying, you know, as a war game, yeah, I could probably have some pretty good stuff there. Yeah, it works great. Um, so I, I'm going to my first, I think, one one three, dragon I've ever given, and it's going to be for this three, two, two, and one. Well, all apologies to Dave Arneson fans. This is not a, a judgment of him. It's uh, just the product. The average I mean, is two. Average is two, yeah. Do we need to do that disclaimer, or do we just want the hate mail? Because no, 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 without Dave, I mean, there wouldn't be, there would never have been a D and D game. I mean, besides, I, if people are determined for for us to be, you know, if they think we're upset, you know, insulting to Dave Arneson, they're going to send us hate mail no matter what yeah, they say. That's true. So, and, and, and as, far, as far as I'm concerned, you know, I, I say a lot of things about how I hate it when you put sci-fi in a fantasy analysis, but I'd love to run in Blackmore. And it'd be it'd be a blast. And I think he did some really good work. You know, that's just my personal, you know, peccadillo. I think Dave Arneson was a great idea guy. Uh-huh. Um, I think he had some wonderful ideas and wonderful things. That it seems, however, that when it came to actually getting it published, he either was just not good at it, or he just had bad luck, well, or something. He's the, just- he's the equivalent. Of being the movie buff that I am. Back in old Hollywood, when they were writing comedies mostly, they would have writers and they would have gag men. The guys would come up with the funny stuff and these guys would actually write the script over here. He'd be a gag man. Hmm. Cause he'd come up with the ideas. He'd come, hey, what if, what if, what if? And you need somebody there to go, okay. You know, that kind well, of yeah. Oh, and another yardstick is if he were still with us, is there any doubt in any of our minds that it would be a hoot to play in his game? It would. No. I, I no doubt whatsoever. I I think I'd I don't know that I, I'd want to play a long running campaign. I, but a few sessions I think would be great. To my eternal shame, I had a chance to play with him and I didn't. San Jose Origins. He was gonna run a game, some guys were yelling, trying to get people for his game, nobody took. Like it's like, oh my god! I should. Is that that game that. he did for? Was it Avalon Hill or? No, no, he's running ODD. He was running ODD. Okay. Yeah, he was going to run ODD, but and he kept going. This is one of the guys with the co-authors of DD. Nobody wants to play with. And I'm sorry, you know, being a stupid young person that I was, you know, so yeah. like, ah, the hell with it. I want to go in the dealer room. You know. Don't feel bad, Glenn. I had an open invite from Jim Ward to sit at Gary's table anytime I wanted to for three solid years and didn't drive the 400 miles to do it. So, okay. But I was there. He was near 400 miles. Uh, about 480 for me. Now, if it had been 500, I could understand. But <laughs> you know. Well, don't think I don't regret not doing it because, you know, what you're thinking, I'm busy, there'll be time later, and then there wasn't. Yeah, there's always something else to do. Yeah. What about you, Liz? Would you play in Blackmore um, with Dave like, Arneson? Like you, I think it would be fun to play, you know, short-term games. I would not want a long-term campaign in it. And, again, because of the supplement, I get the impression that Blackmore is very, you know, water-oriented, or at the very least, reptile and, and <laughs> amphibian oriented. Well, it, it is built on a swamp. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to drain the water to make the make the kingdom. So, but none of that has ever been a really biggie for me. I'm I've never been that big on wanting to play 
water-based adventures or stuff like that, at least not in the long term. It's fun every so often as something different, but I would not want to play a long-term, say, six-month to a year-long campaign doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, for... You know, a one-off adventure or a couple of things like that, sure. <laughs> okay. Cool. Alrighty then. Another episode in the can and another road, to, dusty road to walk down with our uh, thumb out. With our thumb where? Oh, yeah. Okay. Out. 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 So Trying to get rides. Better out than in. How are you going down the road, DM Liz? I'm not walking. I am flying on the back of a giant wasp. Because if I'm sitting on the back of the wasp, that is the most difficult place for it to be able to actually sting me. Good even idea. With the, even with the monster hit location table. Exactly. Even with. How about you, DM Jim? Uh, me and my army of mercenaries are standing right at that idol in Temple of the Frog with a hundred barrels of flaming oil, and we're going to kill all twelve hundred of those giant frogs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to tip the barrels over and light them. And DM Glenn running down the road with a harpoon, pretending I'm Nemo going after that giant squid in the in the in the, in the swamp or the bay over there. Well, I am chasing down Steve the alien, trying to get an interview for Save or Die. Cool, cool. That's awesome. So I guess it's time to go, huh? Yep, another show, another day. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Good night, everybody. Free arc. The Save or Die podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Save or Die theme is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. 9 out of 10 DMs surveyed recommend this podcast for their players who listen to podcasts. Listening to podcasts over 4 hours in length is not normal, and you should consult a physician or at least a damn good psychiatrist. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die.